Hi, I'm Brianne Bennis, and this is No End in Sight, a podcast about life with chronic illness. Quick reminder that I recently started a Patreon account, so if you've been enjoying this show and you have a couple bucks to spare, I'd be so, so grateful if you'd sign up as a patron at patreon.com slash noendinsight. Today, I'm talking to Neve Wedlake about neuromyelitis optica and long-term steroid use and socializing while chronically ill. As a quick content note, Neve does talk about suicidal ideation once in passing, and we also talk a bit about body image and weight gain near the end of the episode. Before we start, here's my disclaimer. This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Make sure you talk to your practitioner about any questions or symptoms. So I like to start by asking people, were you healthy as a kid? Um, no, I was born ill. Okay. So when I was born, I wasn't like born with my main thing, but I was born with a like nasal malformation. Hmm. Like my nostrils didn't form. Okay. So they were kind of like blocked. So they had to put tubes and stuff in and do surgeries but like and I was fine after it was more stressful for my parents than me Mm -hmm. I was just you know a little baby yeah (laughs) right um and then for like four years I was good we think (laughs) sure nothing nothing obvious or major was happening you were just being a toddler basically yeah (laughs) We don't know if those falling overs were my disease or just because I was dumb. Right. Just like a little kid who falls over a lot, which is yeah. pretty normal, <laughs> I think, for little kids when they're learning to walk, etc. Like my condition, which is called neuromyelitis optica, is kind of like MS. Okay. But it's not. <laughs> okay. Um, that started literally like overnight when I was four. Okay. And so I know you might not personally remember all the details, but I'm sure you've heard the story a million times. So what happened? Um, basically, I went to bed one night and was like, fine. And then I woke up and I was like, fully blind. Okay. And I said to my mother, I was like, um, put the lights on. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Why is it so dark in here? Yeah. <laughs> And then, obviously, she she was, like, concerned. Yeah, sure, sure. That would be a surprise. So, I woke up blind, and my mother was, like, very stressed out and very confused. So, obviously, like, took me to the hospital. Mm -hmm. They had no idea what was going on. They Mm -hmm. thought I was going to die, because, like, it took a year for me to get diagnosed because it's a, like at the time it was a pretty new thing. Like they just thought it was a kind of MS. Okay. But now they know it's separate. Um. So they didn't know like how to test for it and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like what they so were they even looking for, basically. Were very confused. They thought I was gonna die because. 
eventually I had more like blindness attacks. They could tell that it was because of inflammation. Okay. So with steroids it helped. But then it got like even more scary when I got like paralyzed overnight. Okay. And we're of, like, were all of these things kind of coming and going? So you maybe woke up blind one morning and then your vision sort of came back? Yeah, with treatment. With treatment, with the steroids. Yeah. Okay. Like, it, they would last a while and, like, the damage is still obviously there, but, like, mm-hmm. not fully. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you were also woke up paralyzed, yeah. basically. And, like, I can't remember most of this stuff. Like, I've got mm-hmm. flashbacks, and that's about it. Sure, you were really young. Four-year-old? Yeah. <laughs> I was busy. I was playing with toys. I yeah. didn't care. <laughs> Obviously, of course. You had important stuff to do. parents. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, like, they really had no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, after doing loads of research and stuff, the doctors and my parents um, tested me for neuromyelitis optica, which is like an antibody test. So, so a blood test. With, yeah, disease usually present with a certain like blood chemical in their like immune cells that is like, oh yeah, this is animal, mm-hmm. and it's different to how they test for MS. Right. Yeah. And um, MS is usually like starts with an MRI because they know the damage that they're looking for. Right. Exactly. But like with MS, it's more like full nervous system mm-hmm. damage, but NMO targets the spinal cord, the brain and the optic nerves. Okay. Specifically. Yeah, so, like, it doesn't target other parts. Like, obviously, that's a lot to target. (laughs) Right, those are some pretty important parts of the body. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, But, like, it is known now to be different to MS and known now that the treatments for MS that they used to use for NMO actually make NMO a lot worse. Okay, so they're not just ineffective but they can like actively cause harm okay that's a Um, good thing to know i guess yeah (laughs) i guess like if you think you go ms and then you're like oh wait that made me worse then they like oh wait maybe it's not ms gotcha yeah maybe it's nmo so you were it sounds like diagnosed when you were about five if it took around a year yeah i was five when i was diagnosed and then like I had a few more um, attacks, like both blindness and paralysis, mm-hmm. where I would lose like everything okay. and then have like really intensive PT and like OT and stuff. Okay. Um, so my last attack was when I was like seven. Okay. But that's because they found the right treatment and stuff. Okay. For me. Yeah. So I still got NMO. I still got all the symptoms and like the damage is still there. Mm-hmm. But I haven't had like a literal relapse. 
steps. Right. I guess it's kind of like a remission. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, but I've still been like very affected. Yeah, of course. And so first, what does the treatment look like? Because you mentioned initially they dealt with flares with steroids, which is pretty common, but obviously not necessarily something that will cause long-term remission. So what 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 were they doing first? So during a relapse, when they notice that your symptoms have become like really severe over a few days, they give the patient like high dose IV um steroids mm-hmm. to like reduce the initial yeah inflammation and everything just and chill then, everything out right away yeah, <laughs> to like minimize the damage i guess mm-hmm. um and that works really well but they need to kind of keep these relapses at bay right so to stabilize and to do that they use immunosuppressants okay um, like Salsept and Rituxin, like they use normal immunosuppressants, but now they've started using like low dose chemo ones, mm-hmm. and those are really effective. Mm-hmm. Um, like last week, the first official like. FDA approved drug for NMO mm-hmm. was like approved I guess yeah and that's like a low dose chemo kind okay that's been specifically tested and de- yeah. like perhaps altered perhaps not but specifically tested yeah. on an NMO population and that's got like a 90% success rate mm-hmm. um and basically what the immunosuppressants do is like minimize the amount of white blood cells my body can make which isn't a good thing but necessary because that's where like the nmo antibody lives right it's it's hurting your immune system overall maybe but your immune system is also what's causing the damage and that's what this is trying to stop or what it is stopping yeah it works They'll probably come up with a better idea in the future. We can hope. Less damaging. Yeah. Um, but it works. Mm-hmm. And with those, it's hit or miss depending on the person, obviously. But there's a lot of different options. And sometimes they'll use like IVIG. Right. Um, or like plasmapheresis, mm-hmm. which clean the blood, basically. Yeah, which makes sense. And I know, I want to I say Felicia, who has MS, who's someone that I interviewed, that was one of the first yeah. interventions they did when she was initially hospitalized with MS. It's like, let's just yeah. get the let's just get the trouble out of your blood to start with, which won't stop yeah. you from producing it, but it might minimize this specific episode. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And then it's like yeah. symptoms. Right. Okay, so that was so you've been on basically it's maybe a few, but you've been using this kind of medication since you were seven. Yeah, I was on one for like five years, and then I've been on this one for like six years now. Mm-hmm. And the reason they changed the other one was because 
they had to up the dose and upping the dose like obviously when I had puberty really made me ill mm. it made me severely anemic and stuff okay so it was impacting uh, perhaps yeah. your like nutrient absorption that's the word I'm looking for or something yeah. like that yeah it was like the actual bone marrow I think it Oof. was like which is like where your hemoglobin comes from I I really don't either even though I do this podcast but important stuff (laughs) it was causing big and different problems worth switching meds for so then they put me on this other med (coughs) but to do that they had to like put me on steroids to make sure my immune system was controlled while they were transferring. Yeah, during the transition, make sure you didn't flare. Decreasing, increasing, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, got it. But going on the steroids also made me, like, severely sick for, like, the last six years, and that's why I've been so sick. Okay. So it feels like... It's, so it sounds like maybe between seven and when the med switched, so also puberty when so much changes in your body, things were pretty stable. And yeah. now it's like, it's like you're managing no. all the related junk almost. Yeah. <laughs> to be really technical. Like the long-term effects of that kind of medication, I guess. Yeah. Like before that, I was normal. I was like starting to go out with my friends by myself and like go to town by myself and everything and like just being normal like yeah I was blind so I needed like some kind of sport well I was stubborn I -hmm. didn't take sport but like I could manage with the sight I had like I can see my surroundings I just like fall over a lot of stuff yeah so you (laughs) and does your does your vision um still change at all or is it typically pretty stable at at the level that it's at it only changes when I'm tired when I'm tired it gets like faded okay yeah and then that's kind of hard and reading makes me really tired like Mm -hmm. even if in my big huge font right but just like that level of focus or something about the way that yeah yeah, the way that you have to do that um but besides that yeah it's the same all the time like I can see my surroundings I can't see far but I can see at least a good like 20 foot Mm -hmm. I can't read within like I can't read big print from like Like more than a meter away right like far away um Um, when I am reading I hold you right by my face yeah and just I think I know the answer to this but because I think a lot of people want to have heard of this I'm still going to ask what impact do glasses have on this kind of a vision problem (laughs) um everyone asks that and they just don't do anything because basically with um glasses it like helps like your cornea and like your retina but this is like the actual f- wire from right. your eye to your brain yeah like affects your visual processing i guess right they just interfere at the wrong place 
Like focus. Yeah. yeah totally. Getting the eye to focus isn't your problem. Getting that information. Yeah. yeah. That's, I didn't, I wouldn't have known what the exact explanation was, but I fig- figured that there was one. Yeah. It's yeah. because of the optic nerve, which is basically like the wire. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a good. Yeah. That's a good analogy. Um, okay. So yeah. So before that, you're like, my vision is impacted, but you were, and you were probably used to it by then as yeah. well. Normal. And like I had chronic pain and like I was on and off crutches all the time because I would have like really bad nerve pain flare ups. Mm-hmm. But like I was a pro at using crutches. I would just hop around the blades and like run on crutches. Yeah. Like I was good. Yeah. And then like everything basically turned to crap. Yeah. <laughs> when I was like. 12. Okay, so you're 12. It's puberty and like the great medication sh- shake up, we'll say. Yeah, because um, the steroids caused adrenal insufficiency. So, my once I was on the right medication, mm-hmm. I couldn't come off the steroids. Okay. Because basically, my adrenals had fallen asleep. And weren't producing anything naturally because they didn't have to. Mm-hmm. So like cortisol or like other kind of hormones cor- related to stress, but also normal energy levels that you need to function. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and to deal with stressful situations. Yeah. Like, yeah, regulating all of that. If I off my steroids, it would have like literally killed me. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Was, Your baseline like, would have been so... Low. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and being on steroids for like five years really messes you up. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, steroids are – but like every time that people talk about going on, say, prednisone, they're like, you feel so great when your flare goes into remission and mm-hmm. then when you start to actually manage the side effects of steroids themselves or tapering off steroids, that's – you're in like a whole yeah. other problem, yeah. Like they miracle workers, like yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. But they really mess you up. Yeah. It's like poison to your body. Yeah, it's it's a lot. And so, mm-hmm. and you were you also like in school full time at this point? How how was all of that kind of? I wasn't managing at all. Mm-hmm. But I was still at the point where I was stubborn mm-hmm. until I couldn't afford to be stubborn. <laughs> yeah, that sounds familiar. Yep. <laughs> so I was pushing myself really hard and like I'd go in for like one day and then like collapse for a week and then try again. And then I'd be like collapsed for like a month and totally out of it in agony, mm-hmm. fatigued. Um. So it really messed with, like, my schooling because steroids really affect your energy in a weird way. I guess it's just because it's not your body's natural stuff. Mm -hmm. They affect your glucose. They affect, like, your muscles. They literally make your muscles waste away. Mm. Um, So that's why I'm in a wheelchair now. Yeah, it's mobility and you it sounds like had had like problems with mobility on and off anyway and at this point you're like 
it's a really big challenge to try and walk. Yeah, it wasn't like wheelchair mobility. It was just like, okay, I can use crutches to walk three miles and I'm great at it. Mm-hmm. But like, I would never need a wheelchair. I probably would. I was just a bun. <laughs> yeah, you didn't think that you needed one at that time and you were totally getting by with crutches. Yeah. yeah. And then your energy became such a problem that using mobility aids is a physical activity. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, like, between the muscle weakness and, like, the worsening in the pain, mm-hmm. because I was, like, so fragile at this point, and, like, the weight gain and the fatigue and everything, I literally, like, I've just been, like, hobbling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, 10 foot for the last five years like I can't do much more than that mm-hmm. like I can do the length of my house and to the front door to the car and that's about it yeah without it severely affecting my energy for the rest of the day mm-hmm. um I don't know yeah. Yeah. So, so you, so were you, so as a teenager, which I know you're still young also, but so some, somewhere in this transition, you got a wheelchair. And also, how was that from a like financial perspective? So, do you need to buy that out of pocket or was it covered or kind of how do you navigate your system? Because I'm in the UK, we've got the NHS. Mm hmm. And, like, everything is covered by the NHS, nothing fancy. But, like, you can get an MRI scan, the NMO tests, mm-hmm. um, mobility aids, mm-hmm. physical therapy, like, everything yeah. you need. And I guess since you had a diagnosis pretty early and it's relatively well understood, you can qualify pretty easily for these specific things that you yeah. need. Yeah. Exactly. And, like, at this point, like... um like for disability benefits if you were legally blind you automatically got the highest rate okay different now because Uh they realize that blind people who are fully blind can get jobs right if if you are yeah like if you're blind but you don't have these other physical symptoms then your ability to work is actually pretty great for a lot of people yeah exactly yeah same as anybody else's as long as you've got like all the accommodations um but in like the uk nhs like i guess insurance Mm -hmm. is based on your level of income or like level of disability like everybody in the uk is entitled to it Mm -hmm. um which is really good (laughs) um compared to America like I feel like we'd have to sell everything if we move to America just to pay for my medication yeah it's it is a very complicated difference I um grew up in Canada and now I live in the states and Canada's system is quite similar to NHS and so I'm very like oof they are so different to navigate it's unreal I would move back to Canada, honestly. <laughs> yeah. 
I wonder sometimes, depending on the outcome yeah. of all my like tests and procedures right now, where I'm like, well, does it make sense? I will still qualify. I will always qualify. You just have to live there because you're a citizen. You're just like, mm, maybe we'll rent a house for six months. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Get into all the hospitals. Um, okay. And so, so you started using the wheelchair. The wheelchair was covered. And that would yeah. make a huge difference, right, in your ability to go places. Um, it meant I could, mm-hmm. but with, like at that point, I wasn't doing anything. Mm-hmm. I would go to school, come back, collapse for days. Right. Yeah. You're just your body's ability to do things didn't change. No, it meant like I could go out if I felt up to it. Mm-hmm. It would still only last like an hour max at that point. And for you, with everything going on, what did a crash look like? Like, what does that feel like for you um, and your body? It's similar to the way people with um, ME explain it. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference being like mine is validated by tests. Right. So but, like. Doctors might take it more seriously right now. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Um, The way they explain it is like what it's like for me. I do anything and it hits my energy and I'm like done for Mm -hmm. hours or days. Mm -hmm. Like literally having a shower and done for the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. Going somewhere for literally an hour, I'm done for like at least four days. Mm Mm-hmm. At my worst times, I was going somewhere like once a month. Mm -hmm. Um, Even now, I'm doing quite a bit better. It's still like once a week. Mm -hmm. You go out. Um, But like, I'm, I don't know. It's complicated. Like, when I I crash, I just feel dead. Yeah, like moving your body is awful. Yeah, I don't have one ounce of energy. All my muscles hurt. All my nerves hurt. I can't get comfortable. I'm either, like, in too much pain to sleep or literally in a comatose sleep. Yeah, like, totally, even your brain's not processing information. Yeah. Um, okay. And so this was, like you said, you were enrolled in school going kind of when you felt up to it. Yeah. Or like when I felt forced. Right, right. <laughs> by myself and like society standards. Yeah. By probably I'd guess there's some guilt in there. Like I should yeah. be doing it. Everyone else is doing it. I just have yeah. to make it work. Or like if I had a test or something, I'd be like, okay, need you got to go in. Like, right. But my school were really good. Like, they didn't bother us that much. Mm -hmm. Because they already knew what they signed up for in, like, letting me go to the school, I think. Mm -hmm. Right, you had already been diagnosed. They were like, okay, she needs to come. But, like, eventually they were like, oh, okay, yeah. (laughs) This is what that looks like. Yeah. Or, like, I would go to school, and because I'm visually impaired, I had a one-to-one. Okay. Um, so she would like collect all the work. I'd go to school for like that one day and she'd sit there and do that work with me. Mm-hmm. And then I'd like 
take a nap and she take me home. Right. Um, and like it got to the point where I was just going for like one morning, um, whenever, mm-hmm. and by break time, which would be like half past ten, I would be like dead. Yeah, you're like this isn't. I can't stay anymore. Yeah, but, like, I kept pushing, and I feel like that really damaged mm-hmm. how things could have been. Mm-hmm. Because I felt, like, you know, stubbornness can come in useful, but it does more harm than good most of the time. Yeah, and especially, like, in situations like what you're describing where... I mean, who knows, but maybe there could have been different accommodations if they existed and you knew about them where, like, you do more learning at home or whatever it is that suits your body. And when you think you have to do it one way, you're trying so hard that you have kind of blinders on. Oof, that's a bad expression for that. Uh, Got it. It's fine. Don't worry. (laughs) Um, We did get, like, all the accommodations I could, but we were, like, all pushing homeschool off as much as possible mm-hmm. because they felt like it would be bad for like my mental health and mm-hmm. like everything but it was like once I got to that point it was like the best decision I ever made right and then I wasn't seeing my friends in school anyway the days I was in school my best friend would come and sit in my office with me I'd be too tired to speak yeah We'd have a mini gossip, and then I would be done. Like, I wasn't seeing her anyway. And then all my other friends at that point, like, I couldn't, like, deal with teenagers. Right, right. You weren't having that social experience that they were wanting for you when you were actually there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, like... I had, like, a year of medical exemption. Okay. So I had, like, completely crashed at this point. I wasn't going to school at all. Everything was, like, falling apart physically and mentally. And then when I crashed, like, that bad, I was literally, like, so done with everything. Like, I was so depressed and, like, everything because I was just running on films yeah of no quality of life at that point mm-hmm. try that one day of school occasionally come home and collapse for weeks and then any other energy i had in between was used on doctor's appointments right you know how it is <laughs> yeah yeah and they take up that's one of the things that i always forget when i'm like in between kind of intense doctor moments just going and doing it takes a lot of energy and it takes a lot of cognitive presence yeah and like I'm lucky because like obviously I've got my parents to remember everything Mm -hmm. the doctor says for me right um but like even just sitting there and talking to them or like waiting half an hour for the doctor Mm -hmm. to come is so exhausting yeah so I would literally just lie there and like sleep I'd wake up for food I'd watch some YouTube some Netflix occasionally but besides that I was like asleep yeah and Um, then did kind of it sounds like so things got worse than your your baseline and then did things come out of that 
rut a little bit to whatever your normal is? Yeah, so I started the homeschooling, and that was really helpful physically and mentally. Well, not physically, but, like, mentally, because I like learning. I'm, like, kind of smart. Yeah, when you take away the things that were making it so hard, you got to actually do it, right? Yeah. Um, And we tried me just doing, like, three courses, and then we came down to, like, the one I actually wanted to do, not the ones that were mandatory. Mm-hmm. So I was actually putting my energy into something useful, mm-hmm. not wasting half of it on exams I was going to do bad in mm-hmm. because I couldn't mentally process it all. Right. Um, but then I was doing the homeschooling, and that was really helpful. And doing good in that. And, like, I understand why they put it off for so long. Because people see it as a bad thing. And then, like, once someone gets into homeschool, their mission is literally to get you out of homeschool. Mm. When, for some people, that is the best way for them to be educated, like, physically or mentally. Yeah, and and I understand, like, isolation is a big problem for so many disabled people but like you say physically going and being around other people isn't necessarily a cure for isolation like that can just yeah cause so many other problems and so we should talk about isolation for sure but also talk about all the different ways that like disabled people find community online now and all these different things that have made such a difference in what it means to be at home and that's what has helped me so much is like having an online community like since I was little and was diagnosed my mother's kind of had a blog mm-hmm. about my animal mm-hmm. like for family and friends and also like other patients mm-hmm. and then when I was like 12 13 I took that over and started using it to do updates and like that's basically what I still do yeah but like mine now right Right, it's your voice yeah and then like i've got my like actual website blog not just instagram Mm -hmm. and i really like doing those and it's not just like sad things like there's definitely been times where it was just sad things and i'm like oh my god i hate my life yeah but that's also (laughs) honest like i think it's it's okay to feel that way Mm mm-hmm yeah and like i found instagram the best for like its chronic illness community i couldn't really use twitter Mm. you know why i just couldn't get like on with it yeah wasn't for you no um and then facebook's good for like support groups and stuff Mm -hmm. like for specific issues. Yeah. Are you in, like, are there a bunch of NMO-specific support yeah. groups? Yeah. And, like, when the first one started, when I was, like, diagnosed, it literally had, like, it was on, like, Google Hangouts. It had, like, 20 people. Yeah. Or, like, on AOL. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, like, the bigger NMO group has got, like, 3,000. Okay. Which is, and that's small compared to some patient communities too so which is probably good actually but that's like a lot of people for like yeah 
to all have the same disease. Yeah. <laughs> like imagine standing in a room with everyone who's got the same disease as you. Yeah, it's like a stadium. Yeah. <laughs> like of all different people from all over the world. So I'm like, with my online friends, I don't just talk to them about being sick. Mm-hmm. I talk to them about everything because they've literally become like best friends. Yeah. So like sometimes I'm dealing with their issues and like giving them pep talks and stuff. And then other times it's like, oh my God, I hate my body. It's so mean to me. Or my brain hurts. Yeah. (laughs) But then like other times it's just like talking about like Netflix shows or like they bought friends and going out for the day like yeah it's not just sad things yeah which I feel like most people don't understand they like oh my god the internet ew yeah <laughs> like, like you're all just sharing all your miserable stuff together yeah, yeah. which I think is the view of the chronic illness community from the outside yeah but like you can put your miserable stuff on me and be like oh my god my muscle pain is so bad today but then someone might comment oh have you tried magnesium oil or like cbd and usually those are annoying recommendations yeah (laughs) but when it's coming from like a fellow sick person it's like welcomed because that might help and they might not have heard of that before Yeah, and I definitely find I love kind of what you're saying about talking about everything of like when I'm talking to my healthy friends about whatever it is. I was just at a wedding this weekend, and so I had to really prioritize rest, right, in order to to participate in this. And talking to healthy friends about it, they want to be supportive, but they just have no idea what all the little obstacles are. And But if I, you know, tweet about it, about whatever it is, like, I'm really excited that there's a fainting couch in the room at this venue, which is an actual <laughs> thing that I tweeted. And, and you know, the people are like, yes, that sounds great, versus healthy friends who are kind of like, cool? I don't know why that matters. Yeah. And it's fine, because on the one hand, it's like healthy friends and family, you, you do want them to understand, so you have conversations to educate them, but that takes energy. And talking to someone who already knows you just get to save so much energy explaining things. Yeah, and like my homeschool tutor, she's got fibromyalgia. And just talking to her, like she comes and we have like literal therapy sessions. Yeah. <laughs> for half of our lessons because like we both like, oh my God, it's a real person in front of me who understands. Yeah, totally. That's so real. And like having sick friends, like it can be hard at times because they're all like falling apart and you can't help right but like it's also like a gift i swear yeah and it's cool to just talk to people from all over the world also true also true i've met my online friends and i'm like oh my god you're a french person you're an english person yeah like you're a dutch person like it's so cool yeah yeah um that's I am so with you. That's an incredible thing about where the internet has gone for sick people and people with disabilities. Yeah. Um, and so I, so I, are we more or less caught up to the present in terms of kind of what uh, we've talked about? Kind of. Okay, so, tell me more. 
In the last year, I started seeing an endocrinologist. Okay. Which is like a hormone doctor. Yeah. Um, to try and get off the steroids. Mm-hmm. And like, he was the only one who was like willing to even attempt it. The other ones were all like, uh, no. Too complicated. Scary. <laughs> and I was like, waiting forever to get off them. And we've been reducing and reducing. And then in January, I like officially came off my steroids completely. That's exciting. Um, if it's working. My- yeah, my, um, what's the one? The stress hormone. Cortisol? Yep, that one. As, <laughs> like, came back up to, like, a normal level. Okay. So, they are, like, happy with that and it's safe to be off my steroids because, like, my adrenal gland is, like, woken back up. Mm-hmm. And what did that process look like? Like, were you taking artificial hormones or were you taking kind of other stuff in order um, to taper the steroids? No, because the steroids basically are artificial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Both like... steroids. Mm-hmm. Fake, like, synthetic hormones. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, what I was on. So they were basically just tapering it and waiting to see if like my adrenal gland would be like oh wait i need cortisol right now hello yeah <laughs> and then pick back up yeah which you basically did so just going and slow enough that you could pay attention to what was happening yeah within like all this last few years i had like i think it was like yeah 2017 i had like a horrific worst ever in my life Painfully, mm-hmm. where I literally wanted to die, mm-hmm. and like that's not uncommon in like those few years. Right. But like I was serious. Yeah. About that at that time, so obviously that's concerning. Yeah, that sounds really but, really hard. Um, like my parents and everything now. Mm-hmm. So I was put on morphine to like keep the pain at bay. Mm-hmm. And because I was already so sick, I didn't really notice how much of an effect negatively I had on my energy and my brain fog and everything. Mm. I was like, oh, look at me. I can stay awake for hours and I'm not even high and I'm on morphine. But, like, actually, I kind of was. <laughs> yeah, like, it was you, – you had kind of eased into it that you didn't notice a change. Yeah. But the side effects were not good for you, it sounds like. <laughs> Other people, I was good on morphine. Mm-hmm. Like if you put my dad on morphine, he'd sleep forever. Like, right. But my body's used to like. <laughs> I was gonna say hard drugs, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Well, you. Yeah. You. You are already. You've already it been taking. Drugs. You've already been taking so many things that change your baseline so much yeah. that like it doesn't seem as unusual to you. Yeah. Exactly. And like it did really help the pain. Like. So for that six months where that pain flare was, like, ongoing, I stayed on, like, the as-needed morphine. Mm-hmm. And I was on, like, everyday morphine. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I'd go out, I'd take extra. And, like, it did actually really help. 
the pain, but obviously I was, like, useless to the world. Right, and that's... Because I was high and asleep. <laughs> yeah, and that's the trade-off. That's so freaking hard with chronic pain, right? And, like, I'd rather be in agony than have no energy. Because mm-hmm. I'm in pain now, but I can sit here and have a conversation. Yeah. If book medicines I would be asleep and then there's no point in me taking the medicine right that's not what you're looking for increasing my quality of life in like a pain-free way Mm -hmm. I'm just sleeping the pain away right you're just asleep which comes in useful sometimes but like not when you've got a life you're trying to live right you don't want to feel like that all the time no so like within the same time which was a bold move but we did it um, of like reducing the uh, steroids because I'm doing better now. We have like reduced the morphine all the way, so I'm not on that now. Mm-hmm. And the withdrawals weren't bad. I felt like extra sicky, but like my pain wasn't worse or anything. Right. It sounds it was manageable for you. Or you guys yeah. were doing it at the right rate, basically, for that to be yeah. okay. Yeah. Um. So, like, the last three months, really, I've been doing, whereas before I was functioning at, like, maybe 1%. Mm-hmm. Like, I could still wake up and talk for a bit and eat my food. But, like, I wasn't completely, like, you know, in a dark room. Right. Like, the severe rest of, like, any patients. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm like, I would say like from a normal person level, level <laughs> I'm functioning at like 15%. And that's a huge jump, it sounds like. Yeah, there is. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I can brush my teeth every day now. And like, I can walk to the kitchen if I needed to. But you know, energy conserving, no. Yeah. But, like, I can actually go out and have, like, three, four lessons a week instead of one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been going out, like, nearly every week, which is a major difference. Like, I am really pushing it, and everyone keeps reminding me that, and I'd rather if they didn't. Yeah, they're like, but, remember like, that you like to go slow. Yeah, I'm like, excuse me, just let me live my life. <laughs> I'm excited, I've got energy, and then I just gonna end badly. I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. Like, well, you have to find those limits. If you don't know, like, if you don't kind of feel them out. Exactly. You know, you can make yourself really fear, like, living in fear, too, of crashes all the time. That's where I've been, mm-hmm. like, last, like, two years. It's, like, so scared to even have hope or like anything I've just been like oh my god I know if I go out I'm gonna feel horrific after mm-hmm. and now I'm just it helps that my depression has been less bad mm-hmm. so like obviously mindset helps in whether or not you'll push yourself right definitely if you're depressed and feeling this bad you're just gonna be like oh I can't do this today yeah. back to bed but like I still have those days, but it's not depression. It's just, ouch. Yeah, yeah. And it's hard, I think, to pull apart kind of mental health and physical health when fatigue 
is or like a lack of energy can be both a symptom of depression but also it can be a symptom of having pushed your body really hard like that's also why the doctors bring her up to us constantly like as much as they're annoys us it is like a valid point like yeah. your health can affect your physical health yeah yeah and but vice versa definitely done for me mm-hmm. but more so in whether i'll get myself out of bed or not like yeah. not in whether my symptoms are there or not <laughs> right right it's how you kind of cope with them or manage them is yeah yeah um so i've been like going out and like i've gone to like two like actual teenager parties Ooh. yeah yeah <laughs> in the last, like two months mm-hmm. which is major progress because one i'm scared of people yeah who like you know health <laughs> yeah it's just a lot um, a lot of conversations so- happen with new people that are exhausting yeah, <laughs> yeah. i have gone and it's been like with my best friend and her other friends so i felt like safe and supported and everything mm-hmm. um i've been i don't know i don't remember all of the stuff but like I've been to a comedy show, um, just on days out. Yeah, just going out and doing with stuff. My family. Yeah. <laughs> and my brother is so excited every time. I'm like, yeah, I'm coming. That's He's great. Like, <laughs> because my brother's like my favorite person. Yeah. But like, I haven't been there much mm-hmm. the last few years. Like, in my bed, I've been there, and right. he comes to see every day in my bed. Yeah. And has cuddles with me and like laughs yeah um but you know he wants me to come out and have fun and like yeah be a part of things (laughs) yeah that's that's awesome that like you've been able to see that much of a change from from tweaking stuff Um, yeah and then have you found because you mentioned like when people will suggest say magnesium or cbd for pain have you found any other kind of things that make a difference in your day-to-day life like that or like diet or like whatever um so it sounds dumb but i've got a smart crutch okay which is like an ergonomic i can't say that word that's a, yeah ergonomic i think that's right um like designed crutch so it's designed so your arm is at like an angle instead. Okay. So like a padded handle instead. You're not pushing down like that, so it's all in your shoulders. Mm-hmm. A lot of people with EDS use them. Okay. Because it does make their joints dislocate. Mm-hmm. But walk. Um, but for me, that's been really good, and I feel like that's one of the major things that's helped keep my <laughs> 10 foot of mobility. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because like, otherwise a normal crutch would be too painful and then I wouldn't do it. Gotcha. So it's a really good tool for you. Yeah. And yeah. like, they are expensive. They are not on the NHS. Gotcha. It's fancy. Mm-hmm. It's like 150 for like a set. Right. I don't know what that is in America, but about the same. Yeah, I don't know what the exchange rate is right now because I haven't had to think about it. Last time <laughs> I was there, I know pounds were definitely higher than the dollar, but... Yeah. I feel... I think it's like... 
one pound is like two American yeah. ones. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. And <laughs> so they're expensive. <laughs> yeah, they're expensive and they help. If you like a long term crutch user, I would like look into them. Mm-hmm. And you can get them like all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, magnesium oil. Mm hmm. Athletes use it, and there's actually science on this. Like, yeah, like for muscle fatigue. Magnesium helps your muscles. Mm-hmm. You can get like a magnesium oil spray on Amazon. Oh. From the brand Better You, and that's the one I use, and that's helpful. So I use that when my muscles are really aching. Mm-hmm. You really like that one. Yeah, and I've given that to like my tutor with fibromyalgia, and she says it helps as mm-hmm. well. Oh, so that's promising. Yeah. Um, there's a body wash form. <laughs> I'm just giving little things, but they help so much. Yeah, well, that's it. It's often like just a bunch of small stuff that you have to try, and then some of them stick around. Yeah. Like actual holistic stuff? No, not really. Not really for you. Um, magnesium in different forms mm, has made a big difference. Yeah. Um, there's a body wash foam that's like a spray you use um, on dry bodies. So like when you haven't been able to shower for okay. days. Okay. Fatigued or like you've had a surgery. Yeah, there's so and many reasons is, that showers are hard. Smell. Yeah, yeah. So like a, yeah, like a spray, so not even spray deodorant, but like spray body wash. Um, I've got it by you. I'll show you. Like that. So okay, yeah, like, like a pump. Yeah, in like, um, shaving foam style. Yeah. Um, and that's really good. And, okay, if you live in a warm place, this won't help, but having a heated blanket is majorly helpful like when you lie on mm-hmm. the ones that go under you because gotcha. that's basically a full body heating pad yeah and it's like amazing not even just in the winter like i can't use it in the summer right which sucks because i'll overheat yeah but that's amazing um drinking lots of water yeah like Always got a water bottle because going back and forth for cups of water. Yeah, it's too much. much energy. Yeah. Um, and then obviously fans because, you know, people overheat. Yeah, it's kind of like both sides. Like you can get too cold, but you can also get too hot very quickly. So yeah. pay attention to temperature and hydration. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got like a big fan in my bedroom for when I have like my hot flushes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's useful because it means I don't freak out yeah and yeah just like little things and that obviously like pacing yourself right but also kind of accepting your bad days Mm -hmm. like people hate to accept it because then they feel weak and they're like oh I'm giving up but it's not it's just going with the flow like that's the thing when you're so ill like your only option is to go with the flow and the more you fight it the harder it'll be and the more of an effect it'll have yeah, yeah. so i like take it like literally hour by hour mm-hmm. 
like I'm supposed to be going out tomorrow. Who knows? Right, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Like, it's just, like, little things. And I feel like acceptance, obviously, is a process. Like, it's like a whole guilt process. Yes, it's and like a bit of a cycle sometimes. Loss, not guilt, grief process. Yeah. Because, like, you lose it and you're, like, in denial. And then you're, like, okay, maybe... And then you have mental breakdown, and then you accept it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like changes can really disrupt that. Like you find a pattern that is working for mm-hmm. you, and then something happens, and that pattern doesn't work anymore, and you have to find a new yeah. one. Yeah. And like it's a whole back and forth, but like working on like acceptance and being like, okay, this is my body today, and like self compassion, not being like, oh my God, I hate my body. I'm just like, ouch, my body hurts today. I need to be extra nice to my body today. Yeah, yeah. Like working on your self-talk, kind of, the voice in yeah. your head where you talk, explain <laughs> yourself to yourself. Yeah. And most of that is usually like internalized ableism, you know. Oh, yeah. Like, still, like, whether it's internalized or like, just because you feel that way like you still need to be nice to yourself and even healthy people are not nice to themselves like that we don't always learn that exactly yeah yeah well is there anything that we have not covered yet that kind of stands out to you as important or part of this experience um body acceptance in like a body image form mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like when you get ill your body can change a lot like before I was this ill and on steroids I was literally underweight mm-hmm. like I've been weight my whole life mm-hmm. when I was on steroids when I was little <laughs> like I was on like the ensure drinks and everything um but then like I started the steroids and I literally like ballooned to like three times my size mm-hmm. and obviously when you're a 13 year old girl who's already got like an eating disorder issue that's a lot yeah. to deal with but like for anybody whether it's going bigger or smaller from like your illness or medication like that can be such a change yeah there's people who've got like ostomies and like feeding tubes, like more visible changes. Right. So much happens because your body is the site of the illness. Yeah, it's constantly changing. Even if you've got an invisible illness, like your body is still gonna change. Like I still got fatter than I was, and like got stretch marks over my whole body. Mm-hmm. And like, that's a really hard thing to deal with, especially since most chronic illness affects women right more than men so like that's already an issue body image Mm -hmm. and I don't really know like how I don't have advice on that one I think talking about it matters even if you don't have an answer saying it's something that you've you've been through or that you think about is helpful I'm at the point now where I'm like okay I've got bigger issues than being fat right like I am on medication. I can't exercise really because it literally make me collapse. Right, it's not the answer. I'm not gonna starve myself because my body needs fuel yeah. more than a person. Yeah, like, you need nutrition. I don't 
like that's an issue I need to focus on right now. Mm-hmm. Like, when I'm in a better place, then I'll get a better diet and I'll exercise more. Like, yeah, and and like both of those things, it's like being able to prepare healthy food for yourself is always great. Yeah, when you can do it, when you have the energy, it's so exciting. And it's the same, like, mm-hmm. when it feels safe to move your body, that is such a great feeling anyway. It's, yeah. You know, it's not about being like, how do I force myself to go on a diet and exercise? Exactly. Which and is like, hard and awful to think about it that way. Dieting like that takes so much energy. Also true. Have food on your mind like that, like diet culture and basically how disordered eating is by normal mm-hmm. takes so much energy yeah. that we have like yeah. i'm like okay my body looks different i've still got nice eyes and nice hair we'll work with that yeah totally i think that is actually good advice like pick things you like and remind yourself of them yeah i'm like maybe from the chin down it's not that great right now but like I got bigger issues. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's, yeah. The culture is not helping any of us manage that kind of stuff no, right now. I'm, like, obviously, people got more qualities than just their body. And whether it works or not, or the way it looks, like, mm-hmm. I might not be the prettiest, I might not be the smallest, but, like, I'm funny. I am good at talking to people. I'm empathetic. Like, yeah. There's different things yeah. that people care more about. People are usually more concerned about their looks than everybody else's. Yeah, we th- each person thinks about their own thing way more than anyone else does. They're too busy being insecure about their own insecurities. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Everyone. And I think that's true. It's definitely amplified by illness, like you say. But it's like this is something that most people have to reckon with. And it's exactly. just a little bit harder when you're like all of the things that I that I for some reason thought would give me value in this culture aren't working you know I can't work normally I can't exercise normally I can't do this stuff and so I have to take a step back and think about what's really important to me and what's important like your own little niche like yeah purpose like for you was your podcast for me it's my blogging like yeah yeah you still get to make something that you care about for other people is making products and like chronically ill people are like the best like self-employers I think yeah. because we all here with our little like side hustles between like being professional patients who like artists and podcasters and bloggers and yeah. all kinds of yeah just out there making you stuff gotta, like work with what you've got basically in like everything chronic illness yeah, yeah, I think you're right. That's exactly it. Um, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time and precious energy to talk to me. <laughs> you're welcome. It's been good. Thank you for listening to episode 44 of No End in Sight. You can find Neve on Instagram at more than a spoonie. And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at BennisB. And of course, you can find this show on Instagram at no.n.in.site.pod. No end in sight pod. 
Um, I post each episode as a story, but I haven't posted to the main feed in a while because I'm so behind on transcripts, as you know, because I keep talking about it. But of course, the whole reason that I've started a Patreon account is to help with those transcripts. So I'll go ahead and plug that again. It's patreon.com slash no end in sight. Next week, I'll be talking to a woman who developed ME in high school. So make sure you subscribe in your podcast app to find out when new episodes are available. And if you've been enjoying the show, I would be so grateful if you'd leave a review on Apple Podcasts so that new listeners know what to expect. As usual, don't forget that I have a small Facebook group called Chronic Hustlers for people living with chronic conditions who are self-employed. It's quiet but growing steadily, and you'll even find a few podcast guests in the group. And finally, this podcast is supported by my cross-stitch company, Digital Artisanal. When I'm up for it, I make simple modern patterns that you'll actually want to hang in your home. I've got some fun fall patterns in the shop and dozens of very simple icons that you can customize to your heart's content. I'd love it if you checked us out at digitalartisanal.com. Thanks for listening.